Papi. <laughs> Hello and welcome to podcast number 10 for the Black Ink Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Kerr. And I would like to firstly apologize because this is the first time I'm doing a podcast recording it at quarter past six in the morning. And I'm doing so because I have a crazy flat out day today. It's it's Friday, the something of July. It's the Friday before Conor McGregor fights, basically. And on that note, I'm going to start on this prediction. I saw Conor McGregor on a reel on Instagram signing posters. Now, obviously, I don't have any fucking real reference to go back on him signing posters when he was... You know, the real Mystic Mac five years ago just fucking absolutely killing the game. But he was signing posters like he didn't give a fuck, you know? Like he didn't give a fuck. He was literally just like a circle, a circle, and he's like looking around while he's doing it. He's not paying attention to what he's doing. Man, I feel like the old Conor McGregor gave a fuck about the fans. He gave a fuck about where the posters were ending up and people being able to identify his signature on the poster. And like, I get it. You're that big that you don't have to care. But I think the gravy is in being the person who does care and does sign their name properly. And I mean, you can see on the posters, there was everybody else's signature. I feel like that just ties into the fiber of the person who, I mean, sure, he's in it to win it a certain extent, but he's not in it to win it as much as he kind of needs to be. And like, you know, I'm not even that much of a dust and nut hugger, so I don't know what, like, what the 5-0 is on him and like how, I mean, I just, I'm... I watch it for the entertainment value, not for the like breaking it down and figuring out who's going to win because of skills. It's just fun for me to watch. But I feel like being like some sort of an athlete in my past, I do understand kind of what it takes to not necessarily be a winner, but identifying the winning uh, kind of traits in people's personalities and seeing when people have done really well and they let like that that um, performance kind of outweigh their outweigh their like need to keep performing and yeah it'll just be interesting but I just I noted the way he was doing that I'm like oh that's not a good sign that's not a good sign you kind of want to see someone who's I mean he could be just dialed into the fact that he's about to have another one of the biggest fights of his life because I mean if he loses this he doesn't really have anywhere to go anyway I'm not going to talk about UFC and fighting on this because that's really going off the path of just talking about my ideas and things that's going on in my head, which I'd like to keep this about because it makes it, it makes it kind of, uh, what would I say? It gives it a, I, I feel like if I just talk about what comes out of my head, there's a certain amount of like responsibility that I can keep with what I say, but there's also a amount of responsibility that I can just let slide off my back because at the end of the day, it's just my opinion and just my ideas. So who gives a fuck if you don't like it, you know? somewhere up there is the little cross that you can just click out and fuck off you know so it is what it is but i'll tell you what i'll tell you what's like starting to kind of like really interest me I, i'm gonna i'm gonna pretext it with the the world is obviously constantly changing and i would like to say this if if the coronavirus thing like everything that happened in 2020 like through you like, of course it did. It threw everyone. It kind of made everyone double think, like, what the fuck? I think that's the craziest thing is, like, people went from seeing 10 years into the future and having some sort of certainty as to where they're going and what they're trying to achieve and this idea of who they were going to be. And then they realized that they didn't know what was going on 10 days from now. And even now, living in Bunbury in July 2021, like, you know, in a moment's notice, we can't travel to Perth, which is the closest capital city, like 200 kilometers north. Like, we had, uh, we had shit booked in last week. And it just all fell apart because, you know, Perth had a lockdown and obviously everyone around the world is, is facing this sort of thing. But the crazy, the crazy part I feel about it is that people weren't anticipating that the world was going to change somehow. And I think the cool thing about the coronavirus is 
is in some way, I probably shouldn't even say coronavirus because it'll fucking, oh uh, yeah, like I'm going to get demonetized with 29 subscribers. But I think the interesting thing about uh, coronavirus is it slowed down the wave of technology that is eventually going to kill us, you know? And if it isn't going to kill us, it's going to majorly, majorly depo- uh, depopulate us to a certain extent because, I mean, technology is just making life too efficient. It's going to get to the point where like, I don't want to get to the old cliche of like robots won't need us because they can do everything, but they probably won't, you know? And the thing about coronavirus is it did like, it did like, there was a line in the sand as to whether it brought us together and whether it it pushed us further apart. And obviously the easy one is to understand like it pushed us further apart because we literally had to social distance and stand further apart from one another. We couldn't go into public spaces. We couldn't do the things that we enjoyed. We only did the essentials and the necessities. But it also brought us together in a way that I think like, it gave us something to talk about in, in a sense of it wasn't, it, it, you know, there was, it's kind of like football, you know what I mean? All of humanity loves to have a us and them situation that, you know, we like to have things that compete and battle. Uh, and the crazy thing about the coronavirus is it gave us kind of something to compete and battle over, whether it was the fact that it was fake news or it was real or whether the vaccine works or doesn't work, you know, and so on and so forth. But what it did do is it, it, it created conversations between people again that weren't happening before and it was about something that was actually kind of useful now i'm not going to give my opinion or my ideas as to whether i think the coronavirus is real or what the vaccine is or rah rah rah. i don't think that's important in in this sort of uh you know in this sort of digital space that i'm creating for myself Uh, what i do think is important is that it created a topic that everyone can talk about. It created a topic as common as water. Everyone knew about it. If you hadn't heard about it, you were literally living under a rock with no with no news or outside information. And the thing about that is when everyone knows about it, everyone kind of has, has to have an opinion, even if it doesn't affect them, because in that, when they talk to someone else about it, they kind of want to have you know their own two feet to stand on. But on the, in a bigger sense, like it was always going to change. Like... What we had, like if you go back two years ago from today, it was always going to change. The difference between two years ago today and today obviously is so vastly different. I mean, even if society's got back to some sort of normal, you still look at someone differently when they cough in a public space. You still have a different relationship to a mask because you probably had to wear one for a certain amount of time. Like, I don't think the world is ever going to go back to the way it was before in that we have literally been mind fucked by this whole situation to a certain degree that it's undeniably something that has changed us as as humans but the thing that was never going to change was change itself if it wasn't coronavirus something would have came along and fucked us either way and whether it was a new technology or whether it was a whether it was a person making decisions or whether it was a technology um becoming sentient or whatever it is like something was going to change and I read this really interesting thing just uh, just before on Instagram, and it said that in the first half of 20, 2020, PayPal did a trillion dollars worth of transactions, and Ethereum, on their blockchain, they did seventeen no they they did a trillion dollars worth of transaction transactions in seventeen days. So what PayPal did in six months, Ethereum did in seventeen days. Now, whether or not that 17 days was within that six months or whether it was now when Ethereum is obviously a lot more popular and like how that goes up against something like Bitcoin or, or um, you know, Dragonbyte or Dogecoin or Ripple or how it does against any of them and what their transactions are doing and where those transactions took place compared to the ones in PayPal. It, uh, there's a lot of 
I understand there is a lot of variables there that I don't know. But what I do know is, regardless, like 2020, the first six months, PayPal doing a trillion dollars versus Ethereum doing a trillion dollars anytime speaks to change. There is something going on. In the digital space, there is something happening that in reality, the majority of the population, the first world population, know fuck all about. Like I still feel like it used to be if you had 20 friends, one of them knew about Bitcoin and had all their money in it or even not even all their money, though a bit of a hobbyist and then maybe he knew someone that had all of their money in it. And now out of those 20 friends, I feel like five of them know about it and maybe seven or eight of them have money invested in it and are kind of doing something with it. Kind of the same way, like if you go back five years, if you had 20 friends, you might have had one or two of them that are in the stock market. And obviously, if you're in these particular industries or fields, all 19 or 20 of your friends are going to be in it. I'm saying in general, you walk down the down to your shopping center and you grab 20 people out of those 20 people, you know, X amount of them are, that's a sort of situation that I'm creating, right? So those 20 people out of the shopping center five years ago, maybe one or two of them used to be invested in the stock market. Now, let's say two of them were invested in the stock market. Out of those two, the likelihood of one of them actually really understanding what the stock market is and what they're doing and how, the, how to apply their investments the best way and if they're actually making money out of it might be one out of two of them. But most likely, out of a pool of 20 people that are invested in the stock market and aren't actually day traders, you might find two of them have any fucking idea what's going on and are actually making money worth talking about. So the interesting thing I find about right now is if I got those same 20 people from the shopping center, we might find that like one, two, three of them know about what Ethereum is, but I still think the number is zero, understanding the true fucking potential and capabilities of these things. And that's coming from someone who has no idea what the true cap capability and potential of Ethereum is. But my point is the internet is 40 years old. It's 40 years old, right? This whole idea of like blockchain and, and uh, cryptocurrency is obviously a relatively new technology and bit of information that people are trying to grasp. I just think the thing that blockchain allows us to do, I mean, I'm basically repeating what Gary Vee says, but the thing that blockchain allows us to do, the little bit that we understand of what it can do now is literally scratching the surface of what it's going to be able to do in the future. The transparency and at the same time privacy that this technology is going to allow literally outweighs any sort of convenience that these other third party payment providers or, you know, transaction transactional specialists provide. It's not going to matter. It's not going to matter what they can do. I mean, if you if I can speak directly to you for, let's say I'm buying your house off you. And we can do the entire transaction without having any third party people getting involved and them taking their cut and their fees. Fuck, man, the, the, the thing is, I mean, it's quite obviously what you would do. And I mean, people want to people want to pressure test this and poke holes at it. The thing I feel about this technology is it is so big that it will solve its own problems as it goes along. I feel like, you know, people like to poke holes at things and say, oh, well, this isn't going to work. This isn't, this isn't going to. And they're not actually poking holes at the idea. They're poking holes at their their belief and their uh, faith and understanding of the idea. So if they say like, oh, well, you know, what happens if I sell my house and uh, through uh, the Ethereum blockchain, right? And, and someone hacks in there and, and steals the money and then we're left, either of us have money and I still have my house with you legally. Hey, I don't know what the fucking answer is to that, but I'm guessing that if people are paying for their houses with Ethereum, we're gonna have the answer by then, right? That's that's how it works. Now, what I'm what the point that I'm getting to here is that 
obviously, I mean, if you're at a point in your life and you haven't figured out that change is inevitable and you are changing literally every day, even if it's just a micro change, you are changing into a different person every day. And the person that you're going to be in five years time is vastly different from who you are now, but you're still exactly the same. The point is to not be scared of the change. The point is to embrace the change. And like I've spoken about in other podcasts, like what I was doing this time last year as far as starting a small business is nothing what I'm doing right now. But the point was that I started something with the understanding that that might not be the thing that is my is my end result. It's not the thing that I end up doing, but it's the stepping stone of understanding and engagement that I need to participate in to get to that point. And even with that said, I mean, sitting here talking to a camera at 6.30 in the morning about black ink, in five years time, black ink might be fucking nothing. I might not be selling t-shirts, but I can tell you whatever it is that I am doing, this is one of the stepping stones on the stepping stone to doing that. And within that whole idea, every time that I take the next step and I do make a change or I try and, I try and morph myself into the thing that is going to be the next thing that I embrace, it's trying to understand the depths and all the elements and all the fiber of what that change is. So let me let me speak to an analogy right now. I'm in the process of developing NFTs, which are non fungible tokens. If you haven't heard about them, definitely do a quick YouTube or Google and just get the general idea about them. Uh, I'm going to be releasing some blacking NFTs. And obviously, this involves uh, working within the Ethereum blockchain, which is the as I believe the transactional side of how people will trade these NFTs. Um, so the idea is essentially my NFTs will be digital artwork that you'll be able to buy, hold and sell. You'll be able to collect them. Um, and I mean, it's hard to understand now why someone would have a digital wallet full of digital artworks. And I could spend the rest of the podcast just talking about why people would do that. But if we put the wire aside just for a second and understand that, not understand, let me give you my concept of what I believe an NFT could be, right? So if I released 10 of these NFTs today, and it was just this, the, the plain black ink logo, just the plain, sorry, it's a the black ink logo in white on a black background, and there's 10 of them, right? 10. If I only create 10 of those, and I don't recreate them anywhere, maybe I recreate them differently later on, but those original 10, there are only 10 of those ever. Imagine them, as black ink baseball cards, right? Regardless of how, like, pretty much regardless of how how black ink travels in the future or what it turns into, if I create them right now, those, those baseball cards, those NFTs, they're gonna be 10 unique, not to each other, but to the rest of the universe, they're gonna be 10 unique pieces of artwork that if you as a collector buy when they're worth, if I sell them for $50 or whatever, you buy them now for $50, say black ink turns into whatever it turns into, they are obviously going to be worth more than what you what they were when you bought them, whether it's $50 or even if I charge $1,000 straight away and someone buys them. The point is, as black ink creates more notoriety and black ink itself grows, its, grows in value, those collectible items from the start are going to grow in value. Now, obviously, those 10 baseball cards that I was speaking of as an analogy of the NFTs, if you had them physically, it's easy to understand how those collectible baseball cards, like a baseball, um, like a baseball um, fucking collectible card or an AFL collectible card or a basketball collectible card, you name it, right? They are gonna go up in value because people will see them and go like, oh my God, that's the original black ink baseball card. You know, that's the thing. Now, 
just think for a second that in the future, the futuristic version of the baseball card is the NFT. To me, I see buying a Black Ink NFT now as buying a share of Black Ink. You don't necessarily own any of the business Black Ink, but what you do own is a collectible in it, right? And just in that sense there, just in that analogy of like understanding that owning one of those NFTs, whether it's one of 10 or whether the, the only thing that matters is it's one of something, making it a collectible, you can own a piece of Black Ink that is non like it's not going to deteriorate it's not going to have moths eat it while you leave it in the cupboard for the next 15 years and you go to pull it out one day and it all falls apart it is going to be as integral as the day you bought it and not only that because of the blockchain the the transaction is going to be as transparent because the blockchain is going to say you bought this directly off black ink for this price on this date this time so you can say, oh, that's cool. I can just save your logo as a JPEG and save it on my computer and I've got it forever. Very cool. What the Ethereum blockchain does with NFTs is allow the next buyer or even you when you're going to verify it with some whatever to show exactly where it was bought for how much and on what date and so on. Now, I'm not saying that that's really that impressive. It's kind of cool. That's what it is at best is it's kind of cool. It's allowing a space for us to create things and sell them to people who want to buy them and do it all on the blockchain, which means that it's you know, 100% safe. Uh, it's it's using a currency that right now, it's obviously you can't buy milk and eggs with Ethereum, you know, at Coles and Woolworths. But it is like, it's exciting in a way that sending an email 30 years ago was exciting. It's like, oh, cool. So you can send a letter on your computer across, halfway across the globe. That's very good. That's awesome. What What letter do I need to send halfway across the globe? We didn't know 30 years ago. But what we do know now is you can send high definition porn in an instant to someone on Snapchat on the other side of the world and we don't think twice about it. So what I'm saying with this NFT space, this this Ethereum space, this cryptocurrency space is realistically, if you don't understand what's going on, it's probably a good time to give to give yourself some, some energy and some space to not understand what's going on, but at least scratch the surface and just have that knowledge in the back of your mind. It might be worth being one of those five people out of 20 that I grab in the shopping center that know kind of what the fuck is going on. So then when the real change does come, you're not caught with your pants around your ankles, just hoarding toilet paper, thinking that you're, you know, king of the fucking middle class. It's just an interesting thing. It's just a super interesting thing. And, you know, as I say with black ink, I mean, I don't know if the podcast is going to be the thing. I don't know if selling t-shirts is going to be the thing. I don't know if NFTs are going to be the thing. But what I do know is it's going to be a thing, right? And this kind of, you know, let's let's close that chapter. I might have been all over the place. And as I said, I'm speaking about something I don't 100% know. So I, I may have confused you more so. And if I did, I'm sorry. But going to the to the next thing, this is something that I've, I've kind of been dancing around a little with the other podcasts. And I just want to talk about doing things, right? Just doing things things and like the thing that you can get from doing things is having such a greater understanding of the thing yourself where you're going the change that's coming and your ability to to adapt to that change and letting letting like this is the thing doing a podcast at six o'clock in the morning isn't really my most ideal time to do it but the thing is to fucking do it like i've done a podcast at four o'clock in the afternoon I've done a podcast waking up directly from a nap at midday. I've done a podcast when I didn't want to do a podcast. I've done a podcast when I was exactly in the mood to do a podcast. 
And something interesting that come from all of this process is the other day I was talking to my partner and, and she said, you know, I think it's cool that you're doing it every day, but why don't you just tone it back to three days a week? So that way you can kind of, you know, maybe set a rule with yourself that you do it every two days at least. And that way you can kind of record a podcast when the inspiration strikes instead of like making this thing where you've got to go and get a podcast done and you're like hard on yourself and maybe you don't get the result you want. And I said, I understand what you're saying, but let's look at this in the analogy of Usain Bolt. If Usain Bolt only ever trained when he felt like running, he probably wouldn't be the world champion. You know, if Ian Thorpe only ever jumped in the pool when he felt like getting his toes wet, we probably wouldn't have an Olympic champion. It's just the way it goes. And I feel like, you know, obviously the easy thing to say about this is I see podcasting and my ability to talk to myself into a camera for 45 minutes as a skill, right? I see it as a muscle that I'm trying to work every day until that muscle gets so big and so juicy and veiny that it's undeniable that I can speak on camera about anything confidently, not give a fuck for 45 minutes and it doesn't worry me, right? More so than that, if I do it every day, I'm going to find myself in these situations. I'm going to find myself recording a podcast when I really don't want to. I'm going to find myself recording a podcast when I have nothing to speak about. And I'm going to find myself recording a podcast when I think that, you know, I've touched on every single point that I want to touch on. There's nothing more that I want to talk about. And the cool part about that is you learn shit like, here's a good example. I had nothing to talk about in the last podcast and it turned out to be a fucking ripper one. I actually completely lost my train of thought. This is real good. If you're watching this, actually, if you've watched 009, you can see there's a little cut about 20 minutes in. I had a full minute and a half of me just staring into space, drinking water, thinking, uh, I, yeah, um, and that's never happened to me before. But you know what? It happened to me then. And you know what I did is I recovered and I pulled that ship back out of the fucking rough seas and I kept it going. And that came about because I forced myself to fucking to get the job done. Also, side note, I completely apologize if I swear too much. I'm saying true to my word. I don't want to create a character in your mind of who I am based off some false idea of how I speak. I do swear a lot. It's not my proudest thing. But just thank you for understanding. Thank you for understanding. One thing, one thing that, that doing things I feel is super uh, effective at is when you push yourself into this corner of, is this something that I want to be doing? Is this something I don't want to be doing? And obviously having that conversation of, you know, um, doing something that you don't want to do and realizing that it's something that you don't want to do and but you using that information to move forward into the future. The cool part about that is sometimes you actually do things you don't want to do and tell yourself you enjoy it for a greater good that comes out of it and you learn from that as well. Sometimes you tell yourself you like doing things over and over as a means to an end to realize one day that you don't like doing it. There is depth within every, sing every single thing you do as long as you are looking for the depth. And that's probably a great point as well. It is only applicable as long as you are looking for some sort of outcome. Obviously, you know that saying, if you figure out the why, the how is easy. Now, if you're doing these things, you know, if you, if you take my advice and you find yourself playing fucking indoor beach volleyball and you've never thought about doing that before and you get there and you really don't kind of like it, if you get halfway through it and you're like, oh, fuck it. Oh, there's sand in my underwear. I don't give a fuck. I don't want to do this. I want to go. That's when you've got to stay. 
That's when you've got to find the depth. That's when you've got to go like, right, well, what exactly about sand in my underwear do I not like? What about beach volleyball is that bad that I'm never going to do it again? And furthermore, you know, what's the excuse that I can tangibly use if someone says, that, you know, do you want to play beach volleyball? It's like going into something, not just saying that I'm doing this for the sake of doing something because Jake said, more so like I'm going to go into this because I actually want to know more about myself, you know? And this ties back into like wanting to know more about yourself is on the same page as understanding that change is inevitable. Change is coming. I mean, I feel like the best thing that I've done in the past couple of years is just fully thrown myself into this whole ordeal. You know, whether it's here fishy, whether it's black ink, whether it's living in a caravan, it's fully embracing exactly what I'm doing right now because I can tell you based off the fact that everything's going to change is that it won't last forever. I fucking hate living in a caravan. There is no, there is nowhere in my 21 foot caravan that I can stand up straight. I know you can't tell because of this podcast arrangement, but I'm 190, centi- I'm 190 centimeters, which is six foot four. There is nowhere in my caravan that I can stand up straight. And furthermore, if I have a top knot, it's game over. It's game fucking over. But you know what I don't let it do is worry me. I don't think a single fucking negative thought about that caravan until it becomes overwhelming once every, you know, now and then. More to the point, I just let myself fully embrace living in a fucking caravan right now because that's what's up. Because I know if I blink long enough, I'll be living somewhere completely different soon enough. Somewhere completely different. Man. I think that's a cool thing about change is that it's definitely coming and there's fucking nothing you can do about it. Nothing at all. Oh, oh, oh. I'll tell you one interesting, uh, one interesting topic I would like to touch on. And this is something that like when I got it done, I talked so much about it because obviously when you find out what it is, oh, you already fucking know it's in the title. I bet you I'll make the title about this because it's like this is probably the most interesting part of all of this. Um, so I got a vasectomy like four or five years ago and I'm 28 now. So, you know, what was it when I was 23, 24? I know I had it by the time I was 25. <clears throat> oh, hang on. Yeah, so I think I had it when I was 24. And a lot of people, you know, go, oh, like obviously the first questions are, why would you do that? Is, does everything still work the same? Uh, does, um, did you, you know, did you get sperm frozen and all the rest? Uh, I'll just start from the start. So I always had the intention of getting a vasectomy purely because once I like logically figured out that the, the birth control, the whole idea of birth control is like putting your trust in the hands of a female was not that I think females are untrustworthy. In fact, the people I trust the most are females. But the idea that especially in the sense of like when you start, you know, being in your 20s, I guess, or, you know, just when you just start being a human growing up and you realize that majority of people that you that you sleep with, I mean, well, maybe I'm just speaking on my own terms, like, you don't know them. Like, yeah, you know the, their name and their friends and where they're from and, like, you've known each other for a couple of years, maybe, or you've known each other for fucking a couple of weeks, whatever it is. You don't fucking know them. You don't know them at all. And the more I grew up, the more I realized I had no idea who these people were. No idea. I had two girls, two girls in the space of like, I don't know how long, like obviously I didn't sleep with them in, the, in, in this short amount of time, but it was more like a, 
I had them tell me from their experience of sleeping with me that had they got pregnant, they would have, like with me, they definitely would have kept the kid. They definitely would have kept the kid. The conversation wasn't, hey, if we got pregnant, what do you think we would do? The conversation was, oh, if you put a child in me, I would definitely make sure that that child, you know, comes to fruition, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I've just got a low battery. Right. I would definitely make sure that child would come to fruition. It would come out of my body and it would be in the world. And I have no point with, I have no problem with women making that decision about their body and, you know, that child that we both created. Their body more so I don't have a, a problem with. But then when I did some investigating, some questioning as to why that, that was, it was because I was, a, I was classed in their mind as who would be a suitable father and would be able to, one of them very specifically made note of this, I would be able to financially provide for them one way or another. Not that I've ever had heaps of money, but I am confident in my ability to, to create wealth. And I think the thing that really fucking got me over the line was that is that it had nothing to do with the family side of it. it had nothing to do with the planning it had nothing to do with the sort of life that we could or i could or they could create for the child it was more to do with security now look i understand that females are essentially looking for security in the future and as a male it is part of our job to provide that or create some sort of plan that ensures that they are secure safe and that and then there is a future for them but the simple fact that there was an emotional cutoff there was like this a lack of needing or wanting to care about that side of the whole transaction between us scared the living fuck out of me. And the crazy part I found was that when I thought about it as, you know, a young 20-something-year-old, I would always think, so we have a, 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 what do you call it, a contraceptive for a female, but we don't have a contraceptive for a male, right? So we've got fucking egoed up testosterone fueled beasts out there who are walking around with a fucking revolver in their hand with the safety off with fucking a bullet in every single chamber and they're just swinging it around on their finger all the time and every now and then they shoot a bullet and hopefully that bullet doesn't end up in someone like that why wouldn't you take the bullets out of the gun why wouldn't you put the fucking safety on we're relying on all these women walking around with fucking bulletproof vests on hoping that one of these bullets doesn't slip through the gap and get them in the heart do you understand what i'm saying like i've got to trust that this chick this female this lovely beautiful thing that is a woman in front of me that i would like to share my bodily fluids with is taking her contraceptive at the same time every day and has done so for the past three months ensuring that she has at least 99 percent chance of not getting pregnant should i accidentally you know, fill in the rest of that sentence for yourself, okay? That's what I've got to rely on. Same time every day for the past three months. And whether those facts are exactly right, hey, it doesn't really fucking matter. The point is, I've got to rely that this person has a structured routine in their life and they're living by it. And if they're not, the potential of fuck up is the rest of my life could go a completely different way. You want to talk about change being inevitable? That's some change that will blow your fucking mind right? That's some real change that if you find out you're going to be a father and you weren't anticipating that at all, you were just having sex like a human has sex and now you're going to be a father, that's some real fucking change. You understand what I'm saying? So when I realized that the, I mean, but 
the the simplicity of getting a vasectomy is absolutely mind-blowing it's while you're awake while you're watching they go into your body and cut a tube and that's it and everything is the same physically if it happened while you're asleep and no one told you it was happening you would not know any different you would not know any different and then you go on the flip side of that right you go on the flip side oh, i should probably just say Doctors will tell you it's 100% not that simple. You have to assume that it's never reversible and bloody fucking cool, man. Cool story. The flip side of that is these contraceptive pills that girls go on, like, I don't know if you know if you're a guy listening to this, but it turns out it fucks them up. It fucks them up. And you can spend all your teenage years and, you know, in your 20s going off and on different pills, trying to figure out if they are for you. If they're not for you, they can cause crazy side effects and all in the name of like not getting pregnant and all, all, all only fucking, they all only do the job if you follow the rules, if you take them at the same time every day and if you're consistent with what you do and rah, rah, rah. And then on top of that, I mean, chicks can just skip periods and whatnot, you know, using the pill and all the rest. Like it's, man, we're just fucking with the human body in a way that seems to be really aggressive um, just for the sake of, you know, a form of contraception. Now, I know there's some people fucking going crazy behind the screen right now because, yeah, I don't know, fuck yeah. Anyway, so the thing for me was I uh, I went to the public health system and said I wanted to get a vasectomy and they're like, yeah, cool, basically we'll just fit you in on this date. It's about a two-week wait or three-week wait. Here's your, uh, come, in, come in on this date, you'll get a consult, you meet your doctor, rah, rah, rah. And I forget exactly what happened, but I missed my first consult and then... Basically, they're just like, yeah, no, you don't have the maturity to fucking to do this. Uh, come back later. You know, like when you're fucking 35 and you've already had four kids, which is bizarre to me. You know, like the, the, the people that you ask and they're like, oh, yeah, my doctor, my doctor was cool because I'd already had three kids and, and, you know, obviously, you know, didn't want any. Why do you have to have three kids before you mature enough to make this decision? How come you can go and get a fucking home loan for $300,000 when you're 21 or $500,000 when you're 21, but you have to have three kids and be over the age of 30 before you can get a vasectomy and fucking stop bringing life into this world? What the fuck is going on, right? What the fuck is going on? I had to go to a private surgeon, go through a fucking... Um, a psych react, what do they call it? A, a psych test. He basically like grilled me for 15 minutes on my reasoning. And then after that, he still gave me a three month cooling off period. And then after that, I could go back to him and ask again and then get it done. And I did. And after the, after private health insurance, like paid out my fucking ass to get this thing done. Right? Now, let me give you an analogy. Let's pretend instead of every girl going on birth control, the second she turns 14 is on TikTok and realizes she can fuck. And instead, how about we get every, I don't know, 16, 18 year old guy and mandatory, take him in, you know, knock him out with a bit of fucking, how you going? Pull the cord out, give it a snip, put it back in. And then if you meet someone, the love of his life, he's 23 years old, him and her coming to the doctor and maybe they can say, hey, look, I've got a bit of a life going on. She's got a bit of a life going on. We've got a life going on together. Shit, not that you even have to own a house. You can just be renting with this beautiful young lady. But let's say you've got, you've got $70,000 coming in a year. She's got 60, maybe she's got $70,000 coming in a year. You're starting to build some equity within yourself. You've got some savings. You, you talk briefly about the plan of having a child and what you would like to do. And then you go and get it reversed. Now, maybe technology would catch up to a point that reversals of, of vasectomies would be as efficient as the amount of contraceptives we have available for females. 
right? So what I'm saying is the contraceptives for females have got so vast and different and advanced because we have so many females doing it, right? So if we had every single male getting a vasectomy by the time he was 18 so that we could slow down this point of fucking stupid people having children because there is no license to use your dick, you don't have to go and prove yourself to anyone before you get a little card that says you can go and fuck. You can just go and do it and create children, right? Right? So if every single guy was getting vasectomy, I'm sure the reversal method would be honed into a point that it wouldn't even be thought of. We'd probably be able to do it with a machine that looks like something that fucking pierces your ears. You put it up to your nut bag, click, good to go. Good to go. Yeah, you can have children, off you go. Right? Crazy idea, isn't it? Crazy idea. You probably wouldn't have those shitheads living next, to you, next door to you anymore who were obviously accidental children of love. Okay, that was a bit mean. That was a bit mean. But... You know, I just found that the overwhelming fear that I used to get following most intercourse I had with most people, whether they were long-term partners or people I met, you know, 15 minutes ago, the crazy part was like, initially it's always like, did I just get an STD that I'm not going to be able to get rid of? And then the second part is, am I going to be bonded to this person for the rest of my life because we created a child together, you know? And that's right fucking up there with some of the greatest things that can fear you in life. And when you're getting that fear on a regular occasion, you know what I mean? Even if it's someone who you're in a relationship with. I remember being in my first head over heels relationship, you know, being crazily in love and all the rest and being two years into it and still thinking like, fuck man, I don't know about having like this person being the mother of my children. Not that there was anything wrong with her. I didn't know her. I didn't know myself. I had no idea what the fuck was going on. I just bought a coffee van for fuck's sake. You know what I mean? Like, I just find it super interesting that we, how do I, how do I put it? We allow some, like, it's not until we hear these particular, like, now that I give that argument to myself and I pressure test it to make sure that it's like, I play devil's advocate to my own ideas to make sure that I'm not just talking shit. When I say that out loud, like, it seems to be really obvious that that's like a semi- justifiable opinion to have and like coming from the point of view of someone who's had a vasectomy so long ago now and now I am turning into a young man who potentially wants to have a family in the future and looking towards looking towards creating financial independence and a life where a child would would be suitable and where I wouldn't be bringing a child into just a fucking total complete uh like chaos where it's like we're trying to make enough money to make ends meet and you want the child to have everything you possibly can and you want to be able to provide for her and the child and and you know if you have two children it's perfectly fine or if you get put in a situation where you have a child who needs more than most other children then you can actually give that child what they need you know creating a lifestyle where that isn't going to be something that makes you fucking pull your hair out at the end of the day i see having a child now at the age of 28 if i had a child in the next few years with my partner then I would like to think that it would be the most beautiful time in our lives together. That it would be something that from the moment you find out you got pregnant because you're trying to do that, that life changed only for the better from then on. Instead of it being like, oh, you're pregnant? Like, yeah, fuck it. Let's make it work. Let's make it happen. And then just all of a sudden you've got this thing in the back of your mind. Now you've got to provide for someone using like, you've got to go and build a house with fucking tools that are from 200 years ago. Wouldn't you rather build that house with the best possible tools you have? Wouldn't you rather build that kingdom that your family is about to become out of the most structurally integral things that you can find rather than out of fucking clay and sticks? Like, I just feel like people now are making do because everyone is making do and that's the fashionable thing. Whereas this approach is like, 
can't we just put that whole thing on pause and let me figure out what's going on first? Let me make a bit of a fucking plan first and see if I am the sort of person who wants to have children. And let me say, I've spent a major portion of my life, a major portion of my life saying, I never want kids. I never want to do it. I'm not interested in finding out. I'm not good with children, rah, rah, rah. To now, ever since getting this fucking dog on my lap, I can't help but think that I would be a brilliant father and, I, and the amount of love that I have to give to another human being that would be a part of me, my offspring. I, like That sounds attractive. That sounds fun. That sounds awesome. But it come from a huge place of like, pressure testing me as a character to see how I would respond. I'm saying on a greater scale, it might be effective for other young men. It might be, you know, I mean, just in the sense of taking the pressure off girls back, uh, you know, females back to not have to worry about being on the contraceptive pill while it's fucking up their skin and making them bloated just for the sake of some dude who can't fucking control when he's going to bust, you know, just for giving him security, you know? And look, nothing against him. I've been that idiot for most years of my life, you know? But look, if you've got an opinion on this, fucking let me know. I would love to hear it. If you want to know more about my my journey through, you know, deciding to get a vasectomy, getting it, and now living for years and years after the fact, I mean, hit me up. It's, a, it's definitely something that I'm passionate about and I like to speak about because it's not the usual thing. And I think I've even, I've, I've had two friends of mine that have gone and got vasectomies at a young age for the same reason. They just, and you know what the really bizarre part about them is like, I know one of them for sure, he's got like money. He's got money, money tied up in crypto investments. Now, if we just look at that, I'm not saying, oh yeah, of course he's got investments and rah, rah, you smarty had a vasectomy like me. What I'm saying is he is trying to grasp the future. He's trying to understand the change that is coming and adapt himself to that change so that when it's here he knows what's going on you know just interesting that someone who does something like that also makes a decision to have a vasectomy it's just uh it's interesting isn't it and i think like that's oh yeah i i i said i I mentioned that before with the nfts it just going back back a slide it's interesting to think that you know, this collectible artwork thing is obviously one of the very, very like early stages of what the blockchain will allow, but it is understand it is in understanding these early stages that we can fully grasp what is to come. And when that thing does come, because you have the foundational knowledge of how the blockchain and how, you know, those transactions work, it'll the, the streamline into understanding what the next stage is and the stage after that and the stage after that, it just becomes easier and easier. And you know, this is one of those things where people like to sit back and look at successful people and go like, oh, he, you know, he only did that because of this. The reality behind most successful people that grew success over time is it's a million small wins. It's no one great, great decision that they made that made them all their money. It's a million tiny decisions that were a million small wins that in reality, they probably didn't even celebrate, you know? I feel like most people who have accumulated a mass amount of wealth, they come to do so because they make $10 and then they spend $10 on making 15. And then when they make $15, they spend $15 to make 20. And then they get to that stage and they go and borrow another 10 so that they can invest $30 to make $50 and pay back that 10 and then borrow 100 and invest $150. And they start to gain confidence in themselves and their ability to create wealth and continue to do so. It's not a luck thing. It's not a luck thing. It's putting your nuts on the line every single day and embracing putting your nuts on the line, knowing that that's who you are and that's what your job is. Man. Okay. It was a real fucking categories of a podcast today. I'll admit it. But 
The time is 6.58. I'm, I'm 43 minutes into this bitch. I'm going to fucking... I'm going to wrap it up. You understand? And I would like to... Uh, no, you know what? I'm not going to do that. What I am going to do is tell you to keep your eye out for those jerseys because they're going to be available and up for sale by the end of the month. That's a motocross jersey and the hockey jersey. Uh, definitely keep an eye on the NFT space. I'm going to be advertising it a bit more on my Instagram page. I'm going to try and keep everyone up to date. If you are interested in buying them, they're going to be available very soon. I'm just kind of doing the last bits of research before I put everything up. Um, so I'm going to have my NFTs on OpenSea if you are... If you are if you are knowledgeable about the about the whole kind of non-fungible token space, you'll know what OpenSea is. Um, I've chosen to go with OpenSea over Rarible because it seems to be a bit more of a beginner-friendly uh, platform to put things on, and you don't have to mint them from the get-go. You can just kind of advertise them, and then they get minted when they're actually sold. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna be learning about the whole process as I go through it in real time. So I welcome you to learn it with me. I welcome you and encourage you to get on board with those initial NFTs because I think they're going to be worth hella skrilla, right? I think they're going to be worth something in the future. But obviously it's up to you. Um, we've got that new Break the Law tee, which up until fucking an hour ago, I didn't realize you couldn't find on my website even if you wanted to buy it. The only way you could have found it is through my Facebook, uh, my Facebook shop. So that is now available on the website. Even if you don't buy it, go and have a look at it. Also... Go and read my product descriptions. I brought this up on podcast number four, but go and read my product descriptions. They're fucking hilarious, even in my opinion. And I'm a pretty good judge of character, even though I'm the one who wrote them. Okay. Anyway, like and subscribe. Do everything you can to help me. I appreciate all the support that has come my way so far. I'm going to the fucking moon. I'm taking everyone with me and I'm making cool products along the way. Anyway, be good to your mother. I'll talk to you later. And I am out. You.